Hey, it's Clay. Welcome to another episode of the Money with Clay podcast. As I'm assuming you saw based on the title of this, I do have another guest that is joining us. Little backdrop here, a little context. Met him through the other business. He was a guest on the other podcast that I have. And as part of that, he just kind of nonchalantly said, yeah, so I went out to Iowa and I played football there. And I'm thinking, wait a second, you played football at University of Iowa. And for a little context for you listeners out there, that is a Division One program. And you really got to be at the, you got to be a high level athlete. You got to be a high level person. And you'll see what I mean by that when he walks us through his schedule that he had as a, as a student athlete, which is absolutely crazy. I'll offer up a little spoiler learning, but it all started at him waking up at 4 a.m. every day and essentially going all the way to 10 p.m. And I'll just leave it at that. But the point here being that when I said, or when he told me that on the other podcast, I kind of derailed that whole interview and we were talking about a bunch of stuff and eventually I was like, McQuan, will you come and just be a guest on the Money with Clay podcast? Because that one is a little bit less structured. It's more of the the Joe Rogan, you know, long style format where you just talk about whatever and because McQuan's a cool guy and he's like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll come tell some stories. We'll, we'll just talk about whatever. And that's what we have here. McQuan, he's, he's a great guy. He's a, a very highly motivated guy. He's a guy that is not a big believer, not a big fan of excuses, and and that'll come up in in many different ways. And I I asked him a certain question, and his reply back was, I was just, that's a brilliant answer. That was really, really good reply. So the point being that it's there's a lot of unique perspectives and a perspective that, let's just face it, most people, myself included, are not Division I athletes. And when you can reach that level, when you can experience that level, it's going to give you a lot of different frames of reference. It's going to give you a lot of perspectives that, like I said, most people just don't have. And But that's what we have with our discussion here. And I, I enjoyed myself quite a bit. He's got a good sense of humor and he knows how to, he, he's got some good stories. And there, there's something that's, like I said, even if you're not necessarily a football fan or anything like that, there's still, keep in mind, his mentality towards the world, his attitude towards the world, the way he approaches things. That's what I want you to keep in mind because, you know, his mentality, his approach, that's how you get ahead in life. That's how you make something of yourself. Not necessarily to make millions and millions of dollars, but just, you know, what do I got to do? How do I have to view the world? How do I have to kind of go through life to make the most of it, to kind of take control of things and make sure that you know I'm not the puppet or that, quote unquote, the system's not controlling me, but that I'm making the system work for me. So have the system control me or control the system. McQuan is a total, he's controlling the system type of guy. Nowhere are you going to say, that, are you going to hear him say that it was easy or that it doesn't require hard work, but there is some truly motivating stuff in here. So like I said, even if you're not, into a, into sports or college football or anything like that, just remember, take note of those underlying dynamics that uh, he expresses because they're, they're totally applicable to really any area of life. So without further ado, let's get to our or my discussion with McQuan. McQuan, we got to figure it out. I'm so relieved. Are you, are, are you impressed that we were able to figure all that out? I feel like I'm, I can uh, major in IT. <laughs> you know, I feel like yeah, we're like NASA scientists now. But uh, 
Awesome. Little context for you listeners. We had a, a relatively big ordeal. Not ordeal. We were just, hey, we packed the patience, right? We packed the patience and we got to figure it out. And here we are. So let's, uh, I'm excited for this. And I can only imagine, I mean, we're, the, I don't know. I'm, I'm just looking forward to it. Before anything else, I wanted to ask, you mentioned your son. I think at this point he has flown. Did you met? Uh, did you say Iceland or Greenland or something he was flying to? I don't remember exactly, but yeah. your son was flying somewhere. So can you go into a little yeah. bit more details? Cause I found that quite fascinating. Yeah. So he's over in Iceland. He, well, he went to, um, he went, he flew from Atlanta to Boston and Boston to Iceland. Then he went from Iceland to Paris, stayed in Paris for a few days and went back to Iceland. Now he's in Iceland for like three days. He'll be home tonight at one thirty AM, um, Eastern time. Uh, so yeah, he's, he's in the aviation class. He flies at least like two to three hours every weekend. Um, he got probably over close to 500 hours. Was he the person that was flying or is he just part of a class trip and somebody else is flying? How exactly is that working? Well, on that trip, um, their entire, well, it was like 16 crew members, 16 uh, pilot students flying over with their instructors, but he flies weekly by himself with an instructor uh, in a cockpit with him. Okay. And I had a buddy back uh, when I worked at Honeywell and he was into the flying and all that, which is pretty awesome. And I remember him saying he was studying for like an instruments test or an instruments rating. I think that's where you just, you don't even look out the window. You have to you have to fly strictly by looking at all the different numbers and dials and all that. Does, is this making any sense or am I just making this up? Yeah. From, from what my, what, from the classes and the material that they provide in, in, in the aviation program, I heard some of that stuff, but it's foreign to me. I don't know anything about aviation. My sons know, know a lot. Um, I'm not familiar with it, but I know last year we were doing risk assessment where uh, the instructor will have my son, fly on on like on sideways fly like as if the one of the wings was broke um and then also he um and it it actually worked because they flew to tennessee he flew six of his um his his classmates to tennessee for a, a rafting vacation and when they landed in tennessee one of the wheels broke off so he had to use the skills that he was working on last spring to land excuse me, to land a plane. And it actually helped. Uh, the instructor called me immediately after they land and said, your son did an excellent job. Uh, we're going to give him a, a level two, a nod, which is like an extra stripe on his pilot shirt because he handled that situation perfectly. He could have, you know, it could have been, it could have ended bad. So does, do you think he gets those, uh, being able to, the ice cold water in his veins, is that, is that your gene pool or is that uh, his mother's gene pool? I don't know. That might be his mother. His mother, man, she she is one tough sucker, man. She she do not play, and and she like anytime a challenge or pressure comes her way, uh, she keep a smile on her face and get through it. So she he must get it from her. I think we're in the same boat because I would have given the exact same answer if if somebody asked, me, I'd be like, yeah, that was totally. That was the mother's gene pool because I would have been, we're all gonna die, or you know, and who knows? I, but it would have, it would have probably not been good. Well, that's awesome, and to think at only twelve, does he have ambitions? Does he want to be like a 
uh, not necessarily, I guess, a fighter pilot, but just a pilot in general? Or is he just doing this because he's an ambitious kid and he's like, hey, why not? Well, I try him in every sport. Me being uh, a former athlete, playing every sport, uh, being competitive on, on some of the top levels, uh, I try him in every sport between the age of three and, I say, nine. He just didn't like it. He liked video games and stuff like that. So one day I took him to a pilot school and they had him play on a government pilot simulator, the same uh, simulator that they use to train uh, professional pilots. And he thought it was a big video game and he actually did better than a lot of the professional pilots. And the, the instructor was like, look, let's try let's try to get him in the plane right now because he did an excellent job. If he can do that on a simulator, he can if he can repeat that and do it in a plane, we might have something. So we went into the plane about a few hours later and and he was flying the plane with, with the instructor assistance. So I'm not going to say he just flew it by himself, but the instructor kind of coached him through it. And, you know, he was a natural at it and he'd been flying ever since. This was when he was 11 years old. That's awesome. I, uh, I, it's, it almost sounds like a movie. Some kid stumbles into something. It's like, oh, this reminds me of a video game. And then all of a sudden – like high score, high score, high score, record score, record score, and all the professionals that have been—they're like, "What? Who? Who is this kid?" But well, that—that's—that's that's pretty neat, and also fascinating that he just wasn't into sports. And I, I knew somebody else where you know they—they they played at a high level, but then like both of his kids were into musical instruments and and, and the things that had nothing to do with sports. And it's just—I guess it shows that. Uh, it is what it is. There's there's no sort of uh, exact path or predictable path necessarily that you know a, a, a kid is going to follow. But um, yeah, it's, it's it was tough at first. It was tough at first, you know, not being able to, you know, I had him in uh, wrestling and and football and soccer and baseball and basketball. He just didn't like any of those things. He, you know, once he started doing a pilot thing, he said he wants to, uh, instead of being an athlete, he wants to fly athletes around. They got to get to their games, right? I said, yep. And he said, well, I want to do that. I want to have my own private airline and get them from uh, A to B. Private air. So he's an entrepreneur and he wants to be, I like your son. It sounds like he's got a bright future instead of, uh, I just want to sit here and play video games in my parents' basement the rest of my life. I'm going to turn this video game into a private airline to transport athletes all over the, the country and world. I, I like where he's headed with his mind, th- with his mindset there. That's, uh, you know, that, that's, uh, it's one thing to get trapped in your basement and start to order your parents to be making you meatloaf and stuff on a routine basis when you're 35 years old. But it sounds like he's just using the, the video game as a springboard into much bigger plans for life, which is awesome. And which this will be kind of a good segue. I'm just curious, what does your normal day look like? Because I know you're studying for your CPA uh, test and I know you're already in just the, I mean, I get the impression that you have a pretty busy life. Like what does your actual normal routine, normal day look like when you just go through between all these things that you seem to have going on? Well, one thing that helps me helped me was uh, when I first went to the University of Iowa, they put me on a schedule that I stick to to this day. Uh, my schedule was waking up at 4 a.m., uh, strength and conditioning, at, uh, speed and conditioning at 4.30 a.m., 
uh, weight uh, weight conditioning at four at five fifteen, and then at seven thirty we had to schedule our class our college classes between seven thirty and twelve thirty because one o'clock we had to be at the football complex for film study. One to three we had we we doing film study, getting any rehab we need, and I was hurt a lot, so I had to get a lot of rehab. Uh, and then at three thirty we're starting practice. And 3.30 to about 7 o'clock, we're at practice. And, you know, 7 to 10 o'clock, we got to go do required study hours uh, that's required by the NCAA. Uh, and, you know, you only you only get a certain amount of time during the week to get about 15 to 20 hours. So you got to make sure you get, you know, you can get in as pos- as soon as possible. And then every day was, the, was Groundhog Day. We started it over and did the same thing. So now uh, I use that same schedule. I wake up. Around like four fifteen. Uh, if I'm not looking at the markets, I'm also looking at uh, I'm I'm I'm, work, I'm studying for the CPA exam. I say I study for about an hour to to an hour and a half. Um, I leave. I get in the shower, get dressed, make sure my kids get on a on a bus, and uh, me and my fiance we leave we leave the house around about six forty five seven o'clock because she's a registered nurse and she's in school as well to get her doctorates in nursing. And, um, so, you know, we leave around seven o'clock. I get home about, let me say six o'clock, 6 PM, depending on Atlanta traffic, Atlanta traffic is crazy. And then from six to, um, you know, I'm either picking up my kids from extracurricular activities or, you know, I go back home and I study for additional five hours for the CPA exam. Uh, excuse me. In between time, I'm also trying to get in, you know, 30 to 45 minutes of, 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 of health uh, hour, uh, 1.5 mile or 2.5 mile run. Uh, and that's, you know, that's that's my schedule, man. I, and it's Groundhog Day every day. But I don't have enough time. What do you say to somebody that throws that? I mean, I don't want to use the word excuse out there, but throws that reasoning. I don't have enough time. What would you tell somebody that uh, after you just what you just went through, and then somebody says that to you? What what would your reply be? Well, if um, you have the same amount of hours as Oprah Winfrey, you have the same amount of hours of Jeff Bezos, uh, you have the same amount of hours of Warren Buffett. Everybody have the same amount of hours. They're not making excuses, and they, you know they're on another planet of. Uh, responsibilities and requirements day to day. So if you have the same amount of hours as them, you you have to make them hours work. That was a good answer. I mean, not that I thought you were going to give me a bad answer, but that's actually, I mean, you're right. They are literally on a whole nother universe of responsibility and things that are going on. But Hey, Clay, won't you want to be uh, Miss Bezos today? <laughs> Un- I saw a tweet. Uh, what was it about? Uh, how did it go? Something about Elon Musk. Uh, Elon Musk secured another round of financing. He's dating whatever her name Bezos' ex-wife is. And I was like, Mackenzie, Mackenzie yeah. Elon Mackenzie Musk Bezos. announced his new round of funding. <laughs> also, he's dating Mackenzie Bezos. And I'm just thinking, wow, social media. Bezos, Bezos yeah. yeah he's Bezos, I'm absolutely <laughs> savage. But what was it, 25% of... Yeah, she got 30, I think she got like 36 mil, 36 billion. Damn. Oh my. I mean, I was just, I'm like 25% of those shares. And I mean, that's obviously, that's not like liquid cash. That, that amount could be growing. If, if Bezos does his job Mm -hmm. for you listeners out there, we're talking about he, she got 25% of the shares of Amazon, meaning if Jeff 
Bezos keeps doing his job and grows the company, that $36 billion or whatever it equates to, I mean, that could become $50 billion. It could become, I mean, it's it's crazy. She's she's still she's still she's still uh, she's divorced, but she's still his boss because he got to work for her. That, that's <laughs> as fu- it's kind of funny and cruel and ironic as it is. That's the absolute truth. Is he is totally totally? I mean, pain. I mean, just making her more money, the more success he has. But I mean, I, I guess it is what it is. But yeah, wow, what a. That's some crazy stuff. That's that, that's all I can say is I all I know is that yeah, if Elon Musk does need some more funding, I don't know. Maybe 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 she's on. I don't even know what the dating sites are out there, but maybe she's on one of those. And but hey, whatever dating site she's on, I'm yeah, looking for. I'm, I'm sure her her computer is probably blown up with. Uh, yeah, I don't even know where to go with that. This oh, absolutely man. crazy. But to think, okay, so she got thirty six billion, but he was worth well over. He's over. He was worth over a hundred billion, wasn't he? So, so let me ask you this: He, she got thirty. She got thirty six billion. I think he was like a hundred and thirty seven. So, so he's no longer the richest man That's on true. earth, right? Probably not. But I mean, just I mean, think about how rich he actually was. If in like any other situation, you're like, yeah, you just lost thirty six billion dollars. And he can be like, yeah, I still have a hundred billion though. That's crazy. These these are just numbers that don't I don't comprehend. But to really bring it back to that core point, somebody that's that filthy rich and has that much responsibility still does just have twenty four hours in their day, and he's just out there, you know, making it work and, and, and getting it done. So which is which is which is crazy. Now before I forget, I wanted to to bring this up because you mentioned. You know, your weight conditioning and all that. I mean, walk me through the numbers there. So what did you, I mean, what was your bench? Let me ask this. What sort of weightlifting program did they have you go through? Were you? I'm, I'm assuming you were doing all the, the big old compound movements, bench, you know. Uh, yeah, it was It was a vigorous, it was a vig. We had, our um, strength and conditioning coach was a strong man uh, champion, strongman com- competition champion, world strongest man competition champion, uh, Chris Duell. He um, so he implemented some of the similar uh, strength and conditioning training that he used. So we will be doing some like the stuff that you see on YouTube that you know blows people away today. We were doing some of that stuff. Uh, you know, I I was a to be honest, I came to college at like five, eight and a half, five, nine, and I was weighing, I was weighing, um, I'm, and I'm, I'm being honest, like a buck, 150 pounds. And I was lifting probably 400. I was benching 400. I was squatting probably close to 500, um, power clean. I don't remember my power clean, but it was up there. Um, and you know, it was all because of our head coach, I mean, our strength and conditioning coach, he, he kind of brings it out of you. You know, he, he, he tell you, you know, just because you're a certain size or just because you, you're overweight, uh, don't mean you can't be athletic or as strong as the next person. And he kind of brings it out of you. So a motivating individual is what you're uh, getting at there. Oh yeah, man. He played a heavy rock while we lift while we lifting weights, you know, pumping you up. He's, you know, he's a, a, a bigger guy and, you know, he's jumping around with you, you know, 
uh, giving you, you know, he, he he's going to come come down your neck if you if, if you feel like you're you're uh, not living up to your potential. And he's going to praise you if you, you know, exceed potential. So he was a good, good coach. That's awesome. I learned a That's lot awesome. Did he or let me ask this. Were you guys on a, a certain meal plan or were you guys? Oh, yeah, we had we had um, our we had a, a designated dorm where the rest of the campus ate on like the 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 basement flo- the uh, the first floor we had an elevator that go that go from uh the the the, ba- the first floor to the basement and in the basement we had uh personal chefs down there we had steak lobster shrimp uh you name it we had it so we and we we had breakfast lunch and dinner and then uh we we are we had to use our scholarship check after that for uh night nighttime, nighttime snack so were you could a night's not could a nighttime snack be pizza and chicken wings or were the coaches or some like I don't know if you had a nutritionist or something were like no 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 nighttime snacks cannot be chicken wings and pizza how, how did that work or did they they just have have to exert some sort of so each person I'm sorry not to cut you off each person had he will give this um it's this laminated sheet, and the sheet is like the size of a, a, a print, a eight by eleven paper, and it's broken up into three sections. And the three sections was um, was classified, categorized by color: red, meaning don't eat, stop, stay away from, and he have have everything that we serve because he already had the menu for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. These are all the reds. If you if you uh, if you have a sheet that's in a red, you don't you stay away from it. Uh, yellow, okay. This can be your like your your cheat. You can occasionally have these snacks or this for dinner or this for lunch. And then green is where he wants you to be at. So if you um, if you're going to breakfast, lunch, or dinner, uh, you got to look in the green section. And the green section tell you exactly what you can eat. What was something in the red section? Uh. I'm gonna say cakes, donuts. Uh, man, uh, put me on the spot. But it was, it was, it was the high calorie um, sugar. You, yeah, you know, deep fried uh, stuff. It sounds uh, like sat- deep fried chicken. Yeah, you don't want to do none of the, the eat oh, consume man. any of those. What a, I mean, to hear donuts. But me. But me, I, like I said, I was 150 pounds, so my entire paper was green. <laughs> That's I, that would make sense. I mean, I, I suppose if uh, somebody was, if they were wanting to cut somebody down, being like, "Hey, buddy, you got you're you're the right guard. You got to be able to pull and get make your block." His whole sheet was probably red. I mean, no, you can't. I remember you. You, you remember Robert? Gallery. Oh, he was a monster. He, he was, was like I think six, he was the number six eight. Yeah, he, he was, was huge. Yeah. He, yeah, yeah, he was the number two pick for the Oakland Raiders. I think in like two thousand and two, and uh, or two thousand and three, and he he was his entire paper was red, <laughs> like he couldn't eat anything. So did you you played <laughs> with him then too? Okay, yeah, my freshman year. So I would do. Yeah, he was all, and he was he was the number two draft pick then. So what yep. did you what yep. do you what did you observe? Just kind of sitting back and looking at somebody. Now let's just call it. I mean, a freak of nature. If you if you can get to number two draft pick of the entire NFL, then I mean, you're just that you're that's just craziness. So I mean, did you? Is there anything you can share about what you observed? How he conducted himself? His mentality? Just really anything? Any observations that 
I mean, would just go ahead. Every every he he was he was a well-rounded guy. He um he um went to class on time, showed up for his football activities on time. He um he you know he was always an All-American during the time I was there. Uh, never looked the never frowned on uh the freshmen the walk-ons like he would give them rides home even if he going in the opposite direction uh he will motivate uh and coach and cheer for people that's doing their last set of bench press or power clean um he was a film junkie uh he he wasn't the most athletic but he worked hard to be that number 2 pick uh he he, he just was a true a true all-around uh student athlete and and he provided a lot of insight on you know he wasn't highly talented highly talented coming out of high school but he worked to be in that position and and a lot of us younger uh, players we we saw that and we decided you know okay if this is what it takes to be an all-american or or this is what it takes to be a first round pick then we got to follow his footsteps because he never he never was one of those guys that go out uh and drink and party we had uh we had a, a location in, in Iowa City right off campus, well, on campus called the Mile, where it had like 87 bar and, uh, bar and restaurants and clubs in like a two-block radius. So it was easy for him being an All-American to go there and get free service, but he wasn't that guy. He, you know, he'd go out and party, but it was more so I got to do what I got to do to get to the next no, that's level. That's awesome. And I'm, uh, I'm on his Wikipedia page right now, and uh, – under his professional career, regarded as, and I quote, the best lineman to come out of college in years. And uh, so, yeah, I that would make sense because he was, the guy was a monster. And uh, But that that's super interesting and in that he wasn't the most athletic or whatever, but he, he was well-rounded, like you said. And it's amazing how well-roundedness can, uh, can get you so far. And yeah, there it is, NFL Draft 2004, round one, pick number two. Played for I didn't realize he played for so many teams and well three teams but uh, he wasn't he was in the league for a long time he, they, and they and they yeah and they you know him being a number two pick they they kind of put him in that bus category I think I think it just you know him going to the Oakland Raiders it was a, a rough situation for him um, I think the environment wasn't conducive to you know what what a, a young player needs to to develop and I think that he kind of fell in that hole you know. Uh, from what I've seen, I didn't. I don't see a bus. I see if he was put in the right situation, he could have lived up to whatever hype that they yeah. had for him. But I mean, regardless, very interesting backstory there. And I, I you're not okay. In the previous podcast, you said this is a judgment-free zone. Is this still a judgment-free zone? Okay, judgment-free. Zone. I did a little research on you after our last uh, interview and. I I may or may not have stumbled upon some articles and maybe I did a little bit di- bigger digging, but I did not re- realize, were these articles correct? You were a walk-on at Iowa. Yeah, so um, um, my my junior year in high school, right, I was, um, I think I was like top 10 in the state. State of New Jersey? And um, I okay. went to the... Yeah, state of New Jersey, and I went to I went to the Nike Nike All American camp my junior year, and you know they only select uh, seniors. So if you're you're a junior, then you you know you really doing something. And I performed very well. I was one of the top DBs at the at the at the camp, but 
what changed my entire life, and I really don't tell this story. Uh, people that know me know this story. The next day, I was hanging out with some friends, and I had got arrested, and I served my last three months of high, junior year in a juvenile detention center. So every college that had, like, I had a, and this is a funny story I'm going to tell you about, the, remind me to tell you about the University of Virginia defensive back coach. So I had every college I was scheduled to to, to, uh, to visit, Syracuse, Kentucky, West Virginia, North Carolina State. I was scheduled to visit all these schools, uh, even Princeton, because my grades was top notch. I, I even had a, a, a visit for Princeton. And um, in every school, once I got out, I got out like the end of June, school was over. So I had to do a lot of credit completion in the summer just to make it to my senior year, not alone, not not even play football, just to make it to my senior year. So everybody looked at me as, oh, he's undersized anyway. Um, I'm not taking a risk on somebody that got a gun conviction and drug conviction. Uh, so, you know, I'm going to stay away from this guy. And I, you know, I did all my work during the summer of my junior year. Well, I mean, going into my senior year and was able to perform in my senior year and still make the all-star game in New Jersey. And it was the all-star coach who said he, who made me the captain of the all-star team. And, you know, I came a few uh, nominations from being the MVP of that game. And he said, um, and at this time, he had a, he he just got I think Sean Phillips, the defensive end for Purdue, uh, and he, I think he went on to get drafted by the uh, L.A. Chargers or the San Diego Chargers. He had sent him to Purdue, and he said, "Do you know what what school are you going to?" And I, I told him flat out, "I'm not going to any school. You know, I I don't have an opportunity to go to school because all I knew was D- Division One. I. I didn't know about Division Two, II, Division Three. You know, everybody that came around me from my freshman year in high school was saying you're a Division One athlete, so that's all I knew. And then eventually. He said, well, look, have you ever heard about um, Coach uh, Coach Phil Parker? I mean, uh, Coach Philbin, Joe Philbin. He used to be the Miami Dolphins head coach, and he, I think he served when they fired Mike McCarthy uh, of the Green Bay Packers. He he was he served as the head coach there, um, and I say I said I said yeah I know Coach Philbin he he was recruiting me at one point and Coach Philbin was the defense he was the New Jersey recruiter for University of Iowa he was the O line coach at Iowa, but he recruited all the New Jersey athletes and um, so he called Coach Philbin and Coach Philbin got in contact with uh, Coach Wilson who was also a linebacker coach at University of Iowa, and he said look. We don't we don't believe, you know, like we think you, you know, you're a street kid and, you know, you got these convictions. We don't want to take a risk on you, but we'll fly you out here. Uh, And it it was during summer camp. He said, we'll fly you out here and see how um, how you how you look. And if you know, we can talk to you and see where you at and we can get you some, you know, with your grades, we can get your academic scholarship and then you can walk. You can be a, a recruited walk on. I said, okay, cool. You know, I, I do it. But in my head, I'm like, man, I'm I'm just going out there for the trip. And then, you know, I come back to New Jersey and do whatever I got to do. And I went out there and they had me. Uh, Bob Sanders was, uh, put me, got me. I, I got to the dorm and Bob Sanders put me in the car, took me to the football complex. And then I was, you know, they was touring me around and stuff. So when I left, they told me, OK. They they took me to the financial aid and the fin- the president of the financial aid basically gave me everything I need and I you know I flew back out there the next three days I went back home got my stuff and flew back out there within three days they were already in camp 
And then that, you know, that was the end of, end of the story. I, I went, I went to Iowa. I was like on a probationary period where I kind of had to prove myself, not, not even, not on the field, but off the field and, and then in the classroom. And then I think that the end of that season, I got my scholarship and that's where I, you know, I was able to have my four year scholarship. So I registered that first year and then had my four year scholarship. after. Now, when you went out there, was it, was it essentially a recruiting trip? They wanted to recruit you there or was that basically the purpose of it? They, to be honest, I don't, they only, um, the only reason why I went out there was because of the connection that this, the high school coach, uh, Willem Barrow high school, uh, I forget, I forget his name and that's, that's pitiful of me. Um, but he, he, he kind of co-signed and vouched for me and that's why they, they kind of took a little But when you went out there, I will, they were hoping that you would at at least walk on or, or be part of the program. Was that their goal? Yeah, they did. To be honest, it, they didn't have a goal. All they just wanted to do was kind of fill me out. It was like, okay, I'm gonna take, I'm gonna, t- I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring him in just to talk to him off the strength of that coach and uh, that high school coach, and and that's what they did. And then you know, I kind of, I guess, I made an impression, and I was able to, uh, okay. you know, walk on because they got if if they got me the money through my academic scholarship, and if I wouldn't have got that, I wouldn't have been. In Iowa, I didn't have the money at that time. My family okay. didn't have the money. I guess probably poorly asked on my part, but I've always wondered. I mean, you hear about, and I follow recruiting a little bit, not mu- not as much as I used to, but oh, this you know, such and such is coming in, and, and, and they're doing an official visit or an unofficial visit, and there's all these statuses of visits and and all this sort of stuff. I know recruits, or I I don't know if it's still like this, but back when I followed it more, every every recruit got like five official visits. And they could go, you know, anywhere they wanted. Yep. What I mean, what is an What is that like? I mean, I, I just I've always wondered Man, what I, exactly is that like. I mean, you said they showed me around. Can you go into more detail? I mean, for people like me that have always wondered what yep. actually takes place, what entails a, a visit? Can you give us like the the behind the scenes? So, let me give you the behind the scenes of a guy that you're probably familiar with, who was number the number one recruit in. Uh, United States of America. His name is Chris Leak. He was a quarterback, I think, from South or North yep, Carolina. Went to Florida. Yeah. Oh yeah. You, yeah. You yeah. He, yeah. He toasted my Buckeyes in so, the uh, in what was that two thousand three the national championship game? Yeah, I, I know Chris Leak for sure. <laughs> yep. So he he um, he he was. Uh, I'm just gonna explain his his uh, recruit his uh, visit. He flew in. I'm not gonna say the name on a private jet. <laughs> Landing in the cornfields of Iowa, um, shown around town, took the, all the businesses, took uh, uh, visited the uh, the school, every location at the school, talked to the ac- academic and athletic advisors, talked to all the coaches, did all the partying in, in Iowa. Now, Iowa do not have any professional teams. So if you play football for the, the Iowa Hawk, Hawkeyes or the uh, Iowa State Cyclones, you are God, period. And they, you know, people are willing to do whatever they possibly could do just to please you. So just imagine, you know, you got, it's four to one female to male on campus. And you have this guy coming in who's worship, not even as a number one recruit, but because you can have somebody that 
not that's not even on rivals or not even on ESPN 300. Come if you're coming to play football or play basketball or play or wrestle because we got a big wrestling team. If you come to play that and you're visiting, you're guaranteed to to be shown a great time, and I mean a great time. And you will not have to pull out your wallet. You will not have to ask for a number. You will not have to ask for anything, any favors. <laughs> I do get my drift, and I appreciate you keeping it G-rated just in case somebody is listening to it with their with their kids or whatever. But I get the drift, and I it's let me put it this way. I'm sure you could make a Hollywood movie about it, and Hollywood probably wouldn't really be needing to exaggerate very much. Is that a fair way to, to put it? They will not. You see all this stuff that's going on with MCAA right now. Yeah, it's 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 not far yeah, from the truth. Yeah, it is pretty crazy stuff out there. I mean, I didn't know Chris Leak visited Iowa. That was one of his visits. Yeah, so it was. Um, I think it was us and was it really? <laughs> yeah. I, wow, that's uh, and he he chose Florida, huh? But uh, that that's interesting yep. stuff. Then, then again, I get that makes sense because Iowa. I mean, not that I was a terrible program now, but they back in that time period, they were definitely the talk of the town. And now that I saw, talk out loud and kind of reflect what you just said, when there's no pro pro sports teams, okay, so that's what it is. But then when that's what it is, is also a pretty big name when they're winning the Big Tens and going to the big bowl games and all that stuff. That whole godlike status was probably that much more back back at that point so that it's interesting pretty crazy stuff now you to kind of pick back up i mean you go out there you got it all did i hear that right you you visited you went back and then three days later you're back out in iowa was did i understand that timetable right yeah that's I right i mean so what is that what is that like you just show up you're you're Playing with a, I mean, you're surrounded by like gladiators, pretty much. That's what the Division One football players are. I still remember at Ohio State when I was there. You're like, yep, he's clearly a football player because he literally looks like a gladiator. Like that's how I envision just massive, massive human beings, and all these massive human beings are still really quick and really fast. But so you get out there, and you're now surrounded by all these. We'll just call them gladiators. I mean, you, you are a gladiator yourself, but you're surrounded by all these other gladiators. What is that? What is that like? Because not many people have that experience, especially from your perspective, where you are still technically a, a, a you said a recruited walk on, but still you're a walk on nonetheless. I, I mean, I don't know. Just talk about that. Yep. That's crazy I, to me. I, it, it was very intimidated, intimidating. Um, me, I look like a soccer player. I don't look like a football player at this time. Um, they don't know anything about me. I don't know anything about them, but looking at their size, you got people that play my position that was 5'11", 6'2", 195 pounds, 215 pounds. And then you have these these gigantic uh, offense and defense alignment, you know, that look like, where the <laughs> yeah. hell did you come from? What earth, yes. what planet did you yeah. come from? Who, 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 who raised you? Like, what did you eat? You know, how can I get that size? So, so you, it's very intimidating. It's like, hold up. I got to play against him. <laughs> I look, like, I look, I look like a little person. Oh, that's hilarious. Cause I thought, I mean, not, I don't even know. This is what's so fascinating because I would see those people and like, who, like you said, who raised you? What have you been eating? How do you get so massive yet still ref, retain 
pretty good quickness and pretty good speed and pretty good agility. Like, who are you? But I mean, you had it kicked up another level because I didn't have to say, and I have to play against you, but you had to say that. I mean, so mentality wise, because I, I can, this has got to translate to probably your personal life right now. But I mean, and, and the for people listening, I mean, I'm, man, what, what kind of mind tricks? I mean, how did you overcome that? Because you're right. Wait, I got to play against you. I mean, walk me through that. How do you overcome that? Every every day, I, every day I call home after uh, strength and conditioning, after weightlift, after practice. I call home to my mom, my brother, my girlfriend. I'm saying, "Oh man, this is not for me. I'm I'm ready to come home. I'm ready to come home." And I'm gonna say, 95% of athletes feel that way, even if they're the best in their position. It's just the competition level is competitive every day. Is no slacking off. Like you have to compete every day. So. Uh, you know, I was calling home every day saying, man, this is not for me. Just looking for somebody to say, just come home. I get you a plane ticket. Just come home. But they wouldn't. Uh, one thing somebody said to me was, you want you always wanted to be a giant, right? Well, you need to play with giants. And and that's that stuck to me. And I said, okay, I got to be, a, in order for me to be a giant, I got to play with giants. And now I'm playing with giants. And I was able to um, really go all out and dedicate myself to everything football activities. That's awesome. And I mean, not to get too like metaphorical or anything, but it sounds like you're playing with giants right now too. in in your business and professional career, I mean, from my understanding, you have a, a good solid job. You're looking to continue to improve in that with your CPA. But I mean, it, it's a mentality that's carried through not only from sports, but would, would you agree that, you know, that really helped you out in the, in the rest of your life now, kind of just having to overcome that big old mental hurdle of, I just want to come home. The sports made me into something that, you know, that it changed me for the better. Like when I, when I came to, I left New Jersey with, uh, I had a silk screen and embroidery company and I had a few thousand on me, but it wasn't enough to survive for, you know, two, three years. You know, I know I had to come out here and kind of, uh, work hard and what sports made what sports helped me with okay whatever arena whatever field you step on you just got to outwork that person and I came out here humbled myself and in 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 college when I went D1 and played college you know I came from being an all-star to talk of the state to you know okay you're just another another Joe and uh you had to prove yourself so that humbled me and made me uh, bust my bust my tail and, and work hard. And when I went to when I came to Atlanta, you know, I came out here with me, my fiance, and my my kids. And um, you know, I, I was nobody knew me. It, I wasn't the the hometown hero. I wasn't looked at as this smart guy. All they knew was what was what was on my resume. And at that time, what was on my resume wasn't you know it wasn't impeccable. It wasn't something that was stellar. So I came out here and bust my tail. And within these five years of me being out here, I probably got four promotions. In what time span? In a four year, every year awesome. I got a new promotion. So um, and you know now now my 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 boss is the CFO. So you know what my next step is. You gonna are you gonna go to CFO or are you just gonna skip over him and go right to CEO? <laughs> you know, it, it, hey, w- w- whatever whatever happens in the future, you know, I'm all for it. If I if I can go to CEO, that's the next step. If I can go to CFO, that's the next step. Or if I can say the work field is not for me, I'm start I can start my business. Then that's awesome. That's are for you me. thinking about starting a business, or are you just 
saying that in general. I'm, I'm currently, I'm, I'm no, I'm currently working on it right now. Like I, I LLC my cousin, my company with the state in the state of uh, Georgia, um, and um, you know I, sh- I should be hearing back from them within the next week. Are or two. you able to expand upon this, or is this still still tight wrap? Totally respectable if it is. I mean, I'm not trying to pry. It, 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 it's it's tight wrap, but I can give you like a basic summary. Uh, I always wanted to be that person that can be an impact to the next person. Um, you know, if I can invest into in some properties, some startups and, you know, um, you know, that that's where I awesome. want to be. At. And again, no judgment zone. But in my research of you, I think I may have stumbled on your LinkedIn profile. And do you do something you head up the YMCA or you used to? Is is that a- accurate at all? I, 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 I uh, work with the Boys and Girls Club in their corporate off their headquarters. In, uh, okay, Atlanta. okay. That's what I saw then. I knew it was something, but I guess what brought that up was you just, like you said, wanting to invest, you wanted to make an impact with other people. So I thought yeah, that, that that lines up with whatever I remember seeing on his LinkedIn profile. So that, that's awesome. That's some good stuff. Yeah. And. But I came. I came from government. Uh, I, when I when I left University of Iowa, I worked closely with um, some political parties in the state of New Jersey, and I'm talking high high officials, senators, uh, governors, and and uh, assemblymen and women. I worked with. Uh, I was the liaison for all the county commissioners in the state of New Jersey, and I was also. Um, the assistant to the the vice president of NACO. NACO is the National Association of County Officers in the United States of America. So all uh, county commissioners in America, they meet up in Washington, D.C., and and the vice president of that entire association was, I was his assistant. So I learned a lot about government, and I was able to uh, use the same strategies that I learned uh, throughout football uh, with, with government, because when I came home from University of Iowa, I knew nothing about government. Like I, I, I didn't, I never even voted, and I was able to get a, a real good PhD level education during my okay. Experience. Well, I'm not going to let you skate unless you have to. But I learned a lot about government. I'm very curious. What did you learn about government? I mean, because I very well may be corrupted by some of these Hollywood movies and such that I see. So, I mean, I don't know. Can you expand into that statement more so about what you learned about what some may say is like the most cutthroat thing that exists? We had, we had a former, and I'm, and I'm a, without naming names, we had a former um, house rep that I knew, uh, was close with, still close with to this day. And um, when I didn't, I didn't. I told him I just I'm done with government because it it kind of got dirty during the time I was there, and I, I said I'm done with government. And he asked me what I want to do. I said, you know, I just want to go do some business. Uh, my girl's a fashion designer, so he linked me up with this sheriff, and the sheriff basically gave me his entire company, his silkscreen embroidery company, over two hundred thousand worth of equipment, and the stuff that I seen. Um, I'm gonna give you one story. Uh, I was in every, I think every March or April, they do the NACO association where all the county commissioners in the United States of America meet in Washington, D.C. And they're there for a week or two. Um, I was the guy, I was a young guy. So, you know, I was, I was the guy that's trying to prove himself. So they will send me to certain locations and grab stuff. Uh, and I'm going I'm to keep it PJ. I was the guy that was told to take the, the government issue SUV and go to this store 
and ask and hand them this card. And I did that. And when I handed him this card, it was, uh, uh, he looked at me funny because I had a polo on, some jeans, and I think some some Jordans. And he looked at me like, hold up, you're not your, you're not the typical person I see in government. So I called one of the house reps and said, hey, they're not giving me what you said they were going to, well, what you, they're not giving me anything. And then he, I put him on the phone with the clerk and the clerk said, okay, come to the back. In the back, he went and grabbed eight suitcases of alcohol and a little bag of something else. And I took that to the hotel and the hotel was a, a presidential suite. I never seen a presidential suite like that. Uh, I, I was able to be in a lot of presidential suites in my time. And this was a presidential suite and it had, I think like 11 different rooms and uh, it was for entertaining all the county commissioners in the United States of America. And in these rooms, you had a sex room. You had a party room. You had a drug room. You had a gambling room. You had a negotiation room. And, and if you ever seen Scandal, I my, one of my friends showed me that 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 that's that's that uh, one of the seasons. I think it was season three or two, and I said, "Is that exactly what I told you that was going on?" And he was like, "Yes, sir." And I'm gonna leave it at that. Wow. <laughs> Do you have you ever watched House of Cards? I think I've seen like okay. one or two All episodes, right. but it's 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 it's, it's close. I'm not saying yeah, it's too far from it. I mean, wow. But well, thank you for keeping it PG. But I guess in the from an engineering perspective, where I sit, at least that presidential suite, it sounds like it was set up very efficiently. I mean, rooms for all the different activities, so at least there was no confusion on what exactly was supposed to be going on in whatever room that they were in. So I guess at least even in the whatever you want to call it, that they were trying to be as efficient and uh, workflow friendly as possible. But uh, what? Uh, so you just got out of politics essentially because you you said it was just too dirty. It was too much for you. Yeah, they they had created a website uh, called the Magazoo Watch, and um, like every day of the year, and I'm and I'm not exaggerating. Every day of the year, they will put me on it. I will be in a local paper, and they were just bashing. They were trying to bash uh, the chairman of that party. And, uh, and me, honestly, I didn't care about what side or, you know, I just was looking for a job out of high school, out of college. Uh, and, and I was just with somebody who, uh, you know, they were trying to take down and he, you know, he, you know, and I'm not going to name any names, uh, but you can go on that site and see everything for yourself. They try to call me a gang member that I didn't deserve my position. I was given it because I played sports and, you know, um, uh, and the feds, the uh, feds were, were were trying to take him down uh, because they had new pictures of him uh, being sent to his mistresses in Chicago and all this stuff. So you know, then they start they start adding implementing my family in it, and I was like, you know what? That's the draw right there. That that that's it. I'm done. I can't take this no more. I was a young guy, uh, early twenties, and I said, this is over, man. I, I can't do this no more. And that's when I kind of gracefully. Yeah, I told I'd, I'd be with you. I that would be way too much, especially when family and, and even at that age. But that just makes you wonder. I mean, are these people even human that 
actually make like an entire career out of it where you see how old I'm like, really, you've been in this game for that long? How do you deal with it? Because like I said, I'm with you, McQuan. I, I'd be like, all right, yep, this is too far now. I'm out. But I guess everybody has a different, uh, I don't even know what you would want to call it, but I can't imagine being in uh, that environment for as long as some of these people have. But I, I guess not everybody's cut from the same cloth, but it is what it is. Now, I, I don't even know how we got to this point because I still wanted to talk more football with you, but I guess it doesn't necessarily have to be when you were you know, going there with those first couple of weeks trying to prove yourself, but just in general, you got to tell at least one story, some sort of memorable thing, whether it's from training camp or just, I guess, a, a practice in general, but I mean, do you got something in that regard? Yeah, so um, my it was my redshirt freshman year, and um, now go, my true freshman year, I, I was probably uh, 18th on the depth chart, and I think I was playing offense. and And the offensive coordinator, the defensive coordinator, said, "Do you want to play this year, or or you want to play your senior year?" I said, "Man, I want to play my senior year." He's like, "Well, ditch that offensive coordinator. I mean, the offensive book." pick up this defensive book because you got a shot on this side. So I went to defense. He gave me a defensive book. Um, and I, you know, during summer camp, this was my red shirt year. During summer camp, I was, you know, I was 17th on the depth chart. And, um, you know, I, I, I kind of worked my tail off. And it was one play that stood out to everybody. Uh, we scrimmaged in the stadium, um, in Kinnick Stadium. That's Iowa Stadium. And it was a black it was a no. I think it was a spring ball. It was black versus uh, white shirts, and um, it was a, a top-notch running back from my state who I played against. Uh, that was my last game my senior year. I played against him my last game my senior year in high school, and uh, he was like the number three all-American uh, dual-threat running back. And he um, he uh, he was potentially scheduled to be the starting running back for Iowa. And he had caught a swing pass. And when he caught it, I kind of leveled him. And when I leveled him, I, I tore his Achilles or I think I tore his knee or something. And, and, but I came from the other side of the field and the coaches like was playing that back in a defensive coordinator. Uh, and I never, I never forget this day. His name, Norm Parker. Uh, he just recently passed a few years ago. Um, he 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 called the defense over at the end of defense and said, uh, I don't know what y'all you all are made of, but when you go in this locker, when you watch film tomorrow, I want you to watch that play Dawkins made. Dawkins just made himself, just uh, earned himself playing time uh in the first game. And from there, my first ever play was a cornerback blitz on Ben Roslenberger. We was playing Miami, Ohio. He was the cornerback, and they called my number. They did a cowboy, and I, I blitzed off the edge. And, it was, you know, I wasn't able to get him. He had did a halfback draw, and I, I tackled the running back. But, you know, that's one of the most memorable moments of my that's life. That's awesome. Roethlisberger, though, he's, he's, he's a big boy, isn't he? Oh, my God. Listen, if you – Listen, he like you. You ever seen those those uh, lights where uh, uh, flies just it, try to land on it and just buzz it off? That's what Rosenberger is. He's he's one of those lights where you try to touch him and you just fall off. Yeah, it's hard yeah, to tackle he, that man. 
it's impossible to tackle that man. Because he's from Ohio. He played at Finley, which is uh, Northwest Ohio, where I grew up. So I think when I was a sophomore, either I was a freshman or sophomore, and he was a senior. And all I remember is literally every single Saturday, because, you know, we played on Friday, Roethlisberger throws for nine touchdowns. Roethlisberger goes for eight touchdowns. Roethlisberger, like 500 yards. It's like, who is this guy? I mean, it all makes sense now. And he was a, he was a big baller in basketball, too. It was, I think it was all state, but it was like Roethlisberger, 40 points. You know, it was just, like, the guy was, yeah, he was, and I, I don't, I'm not quite sure his backstory. I think maybe Ohio State offered him as a tight end or something, and he didn't want to play tight end. But I have no idea how we ended up at Miami of Ohio. No, respect, no, no disrespect to you, Miami of Ohio fans that may be listening to this podcast, but um, that's that's crazy. I know Ohio yeah, State regretting say, that I, decision. Oh well, it is what it did. Ohio State ever reach out to you or anything? No, 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 no. I never, I never got a call from Ohio State. It was mainly uh, West Virginia, okay, Syracuse, Rutgers, Princeton, Kentucky, okay. North Carolina State. I think North Carolina was in okay. there. Okay, uh, that reminds me of yeah, the Virginia coach. Oh, so let me let me. Oh, so let me tell you the Virginia story. Uh, so I'm I'm leaving out of the locker room, and in come my head coach with a smaller guy. Now now mind you, this guy was smaller than me. He was shorter than me. Um, a black guy, and you know, and I'm walking out of the locker room, and they're actually walking in the locker room. So we like face to face. And the guy looks at me, he looks me up and down and say, he's too small and leaves. He's like, he's too small. I'm, I don't want to recruit, recruit him no more. Now, this was my senior year after all the stuff that just happened my junior year. So I'm, you know, I'm like, what? I'm like, what the hell is he talking about? So he he's there for about two minutes, two, three minutes looking me up and down and, and not, he just didn't say anything. He didn't introduce himself at all. So that happened. I play my senior year out. Now that was early in the senior, my senior year. And then I play my senior year out and I go to um, all the stuff happened at the All-Star game and I go to Iowa. Uh, now my second year at Iowa, I'm I'm, you know, I'm in a two deep, uh, I'm in nickel and dime, you know, I'm balling. And uh, we had during the summer, during the spring camp, we had these conferences where coaches from all over the United States come and participate in our conferences. And, you know, these conferences start at about 630 in the morning. Uh, I get there around seven o'clock and I see a note on my locker and I see all my all my 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 uh, teammates saying, hey, this guy looking for you such and such. He's this, this and that. And, you know, so I, I asked him, what's what's his name, where he's from? And he's like, he's from University of Virginia. And I said, oh, University of Virginia. Is he a short guy? He, they say, yeah, he's short. He got this type of build. He's strong, muscular shoulders. Uh, don't look like he have a neck, just all head. I was like, oh, I know him. And it's like, how do you know him? I was like, listen, this guy. Uh, came he recruited me came to my school was there for two to three minutes looked me up and down said I'm too short I never played D1 and then left and he's trying to meet with me right now now when a coach asks to meet with a player the respectable thing is to go meet with that player I mean meet with that coach that's what the coaches tell us I went up to our defensive coordinator and said listen with all due respect I cannot meet with that man I don't want to see that man because he he basically for like two weeks, he shattered my entire dream 
by doing what he did. And I described to my defensive coordinator what he did, and he said, look, I don't blame you. Don't go out there. I'm glad we have you. And that was the end of the story. Karma is a uh, is a female dog. Wow, that's <laughs> do, do you wonder though? Because I'm sitting here wondering, what do you think he wanted to meet with you about? Uh, he probably wanted to say, "Man, congratulations! I thank you." You know the political stuff. Congratulations! I knew you would be a good player. Uh, you're doing an excellent job. I didn't want to hear that from him. I didn't need to hear that from yeah, you. Yeah, that's. So to try, yeah, I, I could see that. Trying to maybe backtrack it, make it seem like maybe you misunderstood him or something back in the day, but he knew that. Oh yeah, you know, well done. Or, but yeah, I don't. No, because I wanted, I wanted to, I wanted, you know, during that time after seeing uh, Tiki Barbary, Barber and and his brother play at University of Virginia, I like that was my number one school. I wanted to be there. And and for you to do that, that was like that was shattering. Yeah, that would be rough. I didn't I didn't realize so that adds in more context that that was your your number one school and you wanted to go there. Plus, they're a really good academic school, also. I mean, to know that context about your grades. So, how did you get over that though? I mean, I first off, I I understand fully how that would like shatter your dreams, but I mean, how did you how did you pull out of that tailspin? It, it was it was kind of hard because I was still dealing with stuff that happened during my junior year. Um, I, I was already I was already feeling like you know I'm a failure. Uh, I disappointed my family. I disappointed my friends. I disappointed the community. I disappointed my school. I disappointed my coaches. And for him to do that, it, it, it just put me in a darker a darker space. And I was um, you know I, I didn't honestly my senior year it wasn't the best it wasn't the best year of my career. It was and it could have been. Uh, it started off uh, the first the first two games. I think I scored about four or five touchdowns each game, and then after that, it's kind of it kind of start telling off. You know, I mentally I just wasn't there, and that affected my entire uh, play. Yeah, I mean that's it's amazing how you can have all the physical talent in the world, but if for whatever reason the mental, like you said, if, if your mind's not in it, how much that really does actually affect even somebody you know, of your caliber that, you know, can go out there and just physically do a bunch of stuff. But if you're not in the game mentally, then yeah, the physical stuff can only take you so far, but interesting. Okay. Well, what is, you remember your first play, the, the, the cornerback blitz on Roethlisberger. He was, uh, um, you say it was a draw to the halfback or, or, but you made, you made the play though. Yeah, it was a halfback. Okay. It was a and half-back this is two thousand two or two thousand three. 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 Okay. Two thousand three. Two thousand three. You are. Were you starting that game, or is that just? Uh, you you can say I was starting because we played. Uh, uh, Miami, Ohio would do uh, five, six. They would do five wide. So we had the we had nickel and dime, and I was the nickel and dime guy. So I was on the field a lot. I was on the field probably about if we had 50, 60 snaps. I was on the field probably about forty five. That's snaps, awesome as a, as a redshirt freshman, right? Awesome, awesome. All right. Yes, well, I mean, in the the past podcast, we talked about a, a lot of Ohio State stuff. So I want to who is the who is somebody, I guess I was going to say, who did you guard, but I'll just throw it, make it a little bit more general. Who do you think is the the, the best player that you've uh, gone up against? 
Um, the best player I've ever gone up against is a is a wide receiver from Iowa State, and I don't even know his name. He was a white guy. He was like five ten, five nine, and he was just killing me. <laughs> I, I don't remember his name. He he wore the same number as me, number three. But he just, I just couldn't do anything. It, it's not like he was the most athletic. He was the fastest. He was the strongest. He just was very technical with his route running. And then that's all it takes. You know, he was he was killing me. And I, I kind of wanted to give up during that game. But as oh, far as Ohio State, now, this is something that I, I always say to everybody that I talk to when I talk about Ohio State. I think Troy Smith was one of the best quarterbacks that never got a full opportunity with the NFL. I think if he would have got an opportunity where they cater everything around him like Lamar Jackson, he would he would have been a uh, uh, Russell Wilson before Russell Wilson. I mean, I'm I'm clearly biased, but I, I I think that's a good premise that you've laid down, and I think that's pretty accurate. I still remember, and not that I'm like some sort of football analysis genius. But as a as a freshman there and watching him warm up and just like that, that's got to be because I always remember when I was there, Justin Zwick was like a huge recruit and we got him and he was just like supposed to be the next thing since sliced bread. But I remember as a freshman watching Troy Smith warm up and I'm just, wow, that guy's got a cannon. Wow. Look how tight that spiral is. You know, I think. I don't know. I, I think that this guy's got some potential. And then he started returning kickoffs and all that stuff. And lo and behold, you know, Heisman Trophy winner and all that. But I do agree with you that had he been more, uh, have a system built around him, then yeah, he was kind of almost uh, had Russell Wilson potential before Russell Wilson was Russell Wilson. But uh, so do you. If you look at it, just look at it, uh, Clay, the games that he played. He performed very good with the Ravens. He was in he he was operating in a system that wasn't conducive to his skill set. So just imagine if they were to tell her a few plays, a few packages around his skill set. They changed the entire offense for Lamar Jackson when he got in there and Flacco got hurt. They didn't do that for Troy Smith. And I think Troy Smith had a tighter ball than a lot of those uh, oh, yeah, dual he, quarterbacks. I, that's the one thing I just, wow. I mean, an absolute cannon and good tight spiral. So would you say that he was uh, the best quarterback you played against? Well, that would probably go to, I guess, technically Roethlisberger in hindsight. But college-wise, who was the best quarterback you, you think you went up against? Was that Troy Smith? No, it was uh, Seneca Iowa Wallace. State. <laughs> that guy was... That guy was phenomenal. <laughs> I never played against a quarterback like him. Seneca Wallace was I remember phenomenal. in that, right? He's Iowa State guy. Yeah, Iowa State. And and Kyle From, Orton was uh, Purdue, pretty decent Purdue. too. Kyle or- Orton was pretty Yeah, he was pretty decent too, but I think Seneca Wallace was like Now Purdue phenomenal. you would definitely have played a bunch then cuz they are they're always running their five wide receiver sets and all that. So you probably just like Miami of Ohio, you were you're Basically playing the majority of the game. Yeah. Yep, I played. I played the uh, the majority game of that. I, I started in the Michigan game against Berlin Edwards. I think he was like the number one recruit, number one draft. I think he even went first or second in the, in that draft year. Um, I played, and that's the game I got hurt my freshman okay, year. Okay, which it was weird going back to the whole stalking. I don't remember where the article came from, but 
they were talking to uh, Kirk Ferentz, the coach for you listeners, the head coach of Iowa, in case you're not a sports guy uh, or gal. And he was just, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I'm scanning. I'm like, okay, okay. And then all of a sudden it was like, yeah, he, he made a quote about you and your knee injury. I'm like, well, again, not that I didn't believe everything that you were telling us in the first place, but I'm like, and I was telling my wife, I'm like, yeah, that literally checks out to the T. And now here the Iowa head coach is, you know, updating the media or something that you had, uh, your ACL, right? Yeah, I tore my ACL in that Michigan game, and I was never the same since. I uh, I I was guarding Brelin Edwards for like the first two quarters, and you know he he didn't have his stats was not that good. You know he didn't catch the ball, he didn't have any yards, any touchdowns. I tore my knee the second, I think it's the second series of the third quarter. He went on and had three touchdowns, one hundred and twenty-one yards. Man, <laughs> and not saying I would have stopped him, you know, but. You know, I did. A, I think I did a fairly decent job okay. while I was in there. From a strictly football strategic point of view, if I remember right, Braylon Edwards was he was like good six three, six four, wasn't he? Oh yeah, he made me look like a. Uh, he made me okay. Look like so Ant-Man. you look like a oompa loompa <laughs> next to uh, Braylon Edwards. Yep, yep but yep. it sounds like you put up a very respectable first half. So from a strategic standpoint, somebody yep. that's much you're at oompa loompa status. How do you how do you go up against somebody that's got several inches on you? Tech tech technique, uh, position yourself and, and technique. Technique kills talent every time. I you know a person that's talented, the most talented teams never win. Look at Duke this past year. Duke just got knocked out. They was probably the most talented team in the NCAA. But technique teamwork and fundamentals beats all that. Once you get on the, the division one and NFL level is all about technique. You can survive off. You can make a career off of having a great technique. That is true because at some point, you know, the, just the law of diminishing returns, everybody's like, yeah, lo- we're all freaks of nature here when it comes to the athletic department. Let's just put that aside. But what's going to separate people at that point like you said, is the technique. So that does actually make a lot of sense. I mean, I I never played cornerback. What is the right technique that you were using? Um, you know, it's, it's different depending on where the ball at on the field, your alignment, um, if you're taking inside or outside leverage, uh, if you're going to uh, press and bump and run, or you're going to bail, uh, or if you're on a zone and you're taking, and the ball is, uh, you're on a wide field, you want to cut off that field. It's all about cutting off the field and cutting off certain routes. And when you know what formations that they're running, or uh, the down and distance, you can, t- and, and they're in a certain formation, you know they're only going to run these type of plays because of this down and distance. And that can take away everything. So the education, being educated in football, and that's what most people, you know, don't realize. You you can be the most athletic, but when you get to the next level, everybody's athletic. Everybody's fast. Everybody's strong. You got linemen that's running, that's 300 pounds running the same 40 as you. So that don't mean anything. It's all about the education and putting yourself in the best position as, as you possibly could. That's, and I, I'm not going to, I don't want to turn this into a, a stock market or an options market video or a podcast because that's not what this podcast is about. But I could only think about the beautiful transition about why you are, why your mind is just built for the options trading that you do when you're saying, 
Okay, based on down and distance, and then based on another layer where the ball is positioned, now I can start to narrow things down because X, Y, and Z routes, that's not going to happen. So now I have higher probabilities of knowing what kind of routes they're going to run. Therefore, I have a higher probability of, like you're saying, to cut the field off or to cut routes off and stuff like that because you're narrowing things down based off of certain bits of data. But based on those certain bits of data, again, such as down and distance, hash mark, all that, that automatically leads you into being able, be able to extrapolate other probabilities. I mean, am I overthinking this or are these parallels there? Because it's like, it makes sense why you trade no. options. No, that's perfect. That's exactly what it is. You want to have the... Uh you want to have the probability on your side. And that's exactly what's going on. And get to get back to Berlin Edwards, I knew the probability of him of running a 10-yard a, a stop was slim to none. He was either running a streak or a post or dig. And that's it. <laughs> so that's how I was able to, you know, guard him for three for two quarters or two and a half quarters because it was a post, a streak, or dig. Hey. And you can run that out of any formation, but you know his three routes, you know exactly what he's going to do. That's awesome. That's, I mean, it all makes sense. It's, I mean, I knew football is analytical and that's what always kind of drove me nuts. It's like, you know, the, the stereotypical thing about football players, oh, they're just a bunch of meatheads that are idiots. It's like, I don't know. Have you ever played football? Cause I'd be very, I'd be very, uh, I mean, not that you have to be a, have a PhD in astrophysics, but it's not quite as much as man has ball, tackle man with ball. There's a, there's more that goes into it than that. And um, I mean, your description of how you, you know, the, the technique, that's absolutely it. There, there's a lot more thought process that goes into it. It needs to go into it, like you said, because at, at a certain level, everybody reaches, you know, uh, almost a pinnacle of athletic ability. But I mean, you, you can just make it work. Now, before I forget... Were you a trash talker? Oh man, that was the name of my game. Was it? <laughs> I had, I had, you know, I had to use everything to my advantage being a smaller player. Um, so, you know, I, I would try to talk people out. I would try to, you know, get people out of their game. I would, I would say some of the stuff that I won't repeat now, but I would say some of the the the, the dirtiest stuff you possibly could say possibly could say uh, and I, I just to leave it at, at, at this Charles Barkley would have loved me <laughs> and you know if you watch his commentating on M, uh, TNT NBA you know you know what type of players he liked the trash talker the dirty players you know I, you know I had to use everything now I'm not saying I was a dirty player but you know whatever whatever I had to do to make it you know football is a like you said a gladiator sport whatever I had to do to make or give myself an advantage, you know, I, I did that. And to your point, that nothing is dirty about that because to me, trash talk can be a technique. If you're good at trash talk, then that is a way that you can separate yourself with when everybody's on a sim, on essentially the same line of athleticism. Well, what's, what's, my, what's, what's a competitive advantage I can gain? Oh, I'm actually pretty good at trash talk. I'm actually pretty good at pressing people's buttons. If I can get in somebody's head, well, then, well, like we talked about earlier, I mean, you could have all the, the the physical gifts in the world, but if they're not mentally with it, or in your case, if you're, you know, dangling carrots and, you know, just, 
in their in their mind running around, well, that's going to detract from their their physical game. I mean, I and I, I thank you very much for keeping this PG. I, I I do, but I mean, is there some sort of I don't know PG rated idea of sorts of trash talks that you would use? I mean. Or, or were you just, I mean, you got to give us something without, but keep it PG. Listen, you, we had, we had, so. Let me okay, do this. All right, all right, all right. We're going to do know. some role playing here in a non perverted way. Okay. You see this white guy coming out. He's got number 25. That's me. That's why I wore in high school. I'm like, okay, I got this guy coming. He's a wide receiver. So I go out there and you're lining up across from me. I was never really a trash talker just because. It's like, whatever, I'm not good at it. But I mean, so I'm just sitting there. I'm not saying anything to you. Okay, what what would you say to me? Number 25. See, trash talking don't start on the field. Uh, just like the game don't start on the field. This is what people don't understand. Trash talking is, a, is, is as much as a part of the film study on a team as anything. You, you're not only watching film on a team to see their techniques and see their uh, flaws and see their tendencies. You're also Googling and watching ESPN and film on what irks them. What do they have going on? What do they post on IG? What do they, what did they post on Twitter? What did they post on Facebook? What's going on? What rocks them? And you're using that. If, if that, like, for example, Draymond Green, you know you can take him out of the game easy every game if you want. Like if all you gotta do is talk about his his mom or talk about his environment or say he's the fifth will. You say that a few times, he's out of his game. He's gonna get a tech. He's gonna push you. He's gonna grab you. That's all you want. You wanna give him six fouls. And that's the same thing that we used to use that not only I or other teammates that I played with. Everybody that plays sports use that. If you're a trash talker, uh, you use whatever you possibly could. Now, you won't say something about somebody dead parents or dead child or dead uncle or brother. But, you know, if you'll get as close as that, close, closest to that edge as you possibly could. I, love, I never thought about that. But like the game of football has the film room, the game of trash talk has. I mean, in this day and age, really, there's no excuse with as as prevalent as social media is back back for us when you know we were that age i mean facebook was literally just around there was no instagram there was no snapchat there was no i mean was i don't know i don't remember when twitter came out but i mean in this day and age i'm sure you look at any trash talk and be like listen buddy you literally have zero excuses on why you can't dig and find something about somebody because back when i was your age facebook was just a new thing but that is that's hilarious. I love how you diagnose Draymond Green. Like, all right, here's the playbook on here's the roadmap. Here's the technical chart on Draymond Green and how you can get to inside a set. Who else? That was any. You got any other scouting reports on somebody else? If you were to go up against some trash talk, how would you set them off? Um, I'm 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 trying I'm trying to think. Like you know, Russell Westbrook. Um, you know, he's his his fashion is kind of borderline and I'm going to just leave it at that. Um, so you'd be and, so and you'd be you'd be touching on his fashion choices. Just that that's where. Yes, OK, OK. Yes. 
Yes, exactly. And that'll rock him. He's the type of player that he play with emotions. So if you can, if you can say a few things, you know, oh, hey, uh, I see you wore that dress today. <laughs> and he could have wore some skinny jeans and a tight shirt. You know, that right there, he's a fashionable guy. He he prides himself in being on ESPN and uh, TNT and them talking about his fashion. So if you can start that, then guess what? He's out of his game. <laughs> and, and the players today is so sensitive, it don't take much. Yeah, that is true. I, I We won't go down that rabbit hole, but I, I can see that sensitivity seems to be a little bit I mean, there, I get it. There's a time and place for everything, but it, there's also a time and place where it's like, no, come on. Well, let, let's just, let, let's not worry about that. It's just whatever. But yeah, you are a trash talk. That's, that's good stuff. I, 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 in my very feeble mind and apparently very poor understanding of the art of trash talk, I literally thought it was, you just go out there and start running your mouth, but no, you got to do your, you got to do your due diligence. You got to do your research. So pretty much if going back to our role playing scenario, you would have already checked out a bunch of stuff and you would have you would know at that point exactly what to say that would, you know, to to get me off my game. That's that's hilarious. That's good stuff. Clay, I, I would I would have known you got dumped in ninth grade because you had a boogie in your nose and you could eat your boogies. <laughs> I, I would have known all that Clay. I would <laughs> Clay, every time you take your shoes off, your girlfriend says your feet stink. I would have known that. <laughs> that, that is good stuff. <laughs> man, I can smell your feet, man. What is that? I see, you know, oh man, that that's great stuff. That's great stuff. All right. Well, another another question that I was thinking of. What is well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they're the same. Maybe they're di- the different. I'll let you tell me. What is the, the the best stadium you've played in, or what is the most intense stadium you've played in? Or maybe that's one of the same. The most intense stadium I played in was uh, Purdue. Really, Purdue Purdue Stadium um, is because the people are right over top of you, and I remember them calling me Midget Boy. <laughs> Hey, uh, hey, hey, number three, hey, number three. I bet you your your mom and dad only only two foot, foot one, and you're a midget and this and that. And I'm like, oh my god! And it was like I want to run into the stands and punch them in the face, but I couldn't. But that that stadium right there, they had me off my game, and I, you know I, I I couldn't do anything about it. So that was probably the most intense stadium I ever played in. Um, the best stadium I ever played in. Hmm, it's not Ohio State, it's not Michigan State. Not, I think I'm going to say the big house, Michigan. Now, I've always heard, and obviously I have no no experiential data with this, but because it's built the way it is, it's not quite as loud as other statements or other stadiums. But, I mean, when you have 100, what, seven or however many they fit in there, I would assume that can compensate for quite a bit. But was that pretty loud or was that just – a neat overall experience. I think because how I grew up watching Charles Woodson and uh, Ty- Tyrone Wheatley and all them guys, um, I just was, you know, like in a dream world being in that stadium. Like, wow, I'm really in a big house. Uh, and that, I think that's uh, maybe maybe Penn State. I think Penn State probably was the coolest. This is why. Because Penn State, when we played them, they had, they had the whiteout. 
So everybody in the stands had on white, and it looked it it looked so cool with them in the stands. Like it was crazy. Like all you saw was white, and they did this kind of kind of funky wave. And then my third one, maybe my first one. This is probably my first one. Wisconsin, when they do that, uh, when they play the jump, jump, the Mac Dad to make it. Jump, oh, for the fourth jump. quarter or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they play that, the fourth quarter. They play something that make them jump. And, oh my God, that was crazy. That's awesome. So, uh, have you played in pretty much all the Big Ten stadiums, or at least not yeah, necessarily played, played a- but you've been within them all? I played in all the big pen, all, all the Big Ten stadiums. Uh, one of the stadiums that I couldn't breathe in was uh, Arizona State. Arizona State was a stadium where I couldn't catch my breath. Uh, it was hard. I played in um, the Orange Bowl, the Capital One Bowl, the Alamo Bowl, the um, – um, oh, man, I'm forgetting. I played in all the bowls. Like every year, like we had probably one of the best runs in Iowa history during my time at uh, the University of Iowa. Yeah, no, you we definitely won two Big Ten championships. Yep, and we was in a bowl game every year. Yeah, I mean that was, I mean I, I don't know I was total football history, but I will say I, I definitely remember. I mean Iowa was a definitely a, a name brand back in that that time in terms of I mean, like you said, winning the big uh, games, having big name players, and all that, and they, you know, football is kind of cyclical. So they're not quite there, but yeah, I mean, you were, you were there at a definitely an interesting time as far as, I mean, uh, from thinking back to the last podcast, uh, the, 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 the orange bowl, you said you, you played that was against LSU, right? Uh, U USC, US- Carson Palmer, okay. Carson Palmer, Palomahu, Mike Williams. How did you? Did you go up against Mike Williams, or is this when you had already been? Or is this when you were hurt? I was a red shirt that year. That was my red shirt year. Okay. So you have, I mean, you've pretty much been all over the country too, playing. I mean, with all these different bowls and all that stuff. So you're quite well traveled. Do you have any? I mean, I kind of random, but I'm I'm assuming, but I don't want to assume wrongly. The Arizona State, you couldn't catch your breath. Was that just because you're like literally in the middle of a desert? I think so, uh, and and I think the hotel that we were sitting, in, we were staying in, you had cactuses and and uh, lizards and snakes running around, and and you didn't see any land. It was it looked like all desert. Uh, and then when we went to the stadium, it was so hot. You know, we coming from Iowa, where. Um, and I think that was like our second game of the season. It was still kind of not fall, but you know, not s- summer, but in between. And over there, it was it felt like summer. Uh, and you know, I just we wasn't used to that hot weather playing at that time. Yeah, that. I mean, I I, I guess I can't really say I know what you mean, but I can imagine that would be a, a tricky transition when your body is getting used to something that all of a sudden you're you're hopping back out into. I mean, like we said, literally the middle of a desert. Do you have any good, I mean, halftime speeches or halftime stories that you can, that any stand out? Because I, again, going back to the whole kind of Hollywood theme of things, you know, they always are building up halftime as these big monumental speeches, or I guess even really pregame. Do you have any really good pregame or halftime uh, memories or stories? Um. 
I just remember Coach Ferentz being one of the most coolest, relaxed, smooth. He's like a smooth operator. He he don't get overly gr- aggressive. Um, he's he's like calm and confident. And how he talk is like, okay, you gotta shut up to hear him. And he say stuff that's so witty, where it's like, God damn, did he just say what I thought he said? Damn, I gotta go do this because that. Uh, what made him think of that? Those were the type of speeches that he would give. I can't say a, a specific speech that kind of turned us on because it was so much, you know. And now that you know, you know, we got all this access to internet and all this stuff. I just remember him. You know, this is you know, you got to make this day count. Be, you know, don't count the days and make today count. That was one of the like. It was like, and this is your only opportunity. You'll never get this one back. And I like. But how he would say it would be like, damn, we got to go out there and, and ball our ass off. That's awesome. That's uh, And I like how you, it wasn't necessarily a matter of him just sitting there chucking chairs across the, the locker room or yelling at the top of his lungs. But he just said things in a calm and witty type of way that that's what I always find fascinating. There's lots of ways to motivate people. There's lots of ways to try to get the adrenaline flowing and it's not, it doesn't need to be the uh you know grabbing a wooden board and breaking it over your forehead or something like that but uh did you have any coaches that were super high intensity though my coach the defensive coordinator for Iowa uh, coach Philbin he was like he was I love him to death he's probably one my number one coach but he was the guy that was you know and you, I remember, listen, I, I, re, I remember uh, we had a bunch of NFL scouts at our practice. And I messed up on the same play about three times. And he said, Dawkins, get your ass off the field. And I, like, I just felt so embarrassed. But that's what type of coach he was. And he came to the locker room, and I was just sitting in the locker with all my equipment on. He's like, listen, Dawkins, uh, don't be mad because I coach you hard. Be mad when I when I stop coaching you because that that means I don't care about you, and that's stuck in my head to this day. I tell my kids that I like I tell them don't be mad because I'm coaching you hard. Be mad when I stop coaching you because I don't care about your development and I'm on to the next person. No, I I, I had something similar in high school. I still not phrase exact way, but it's like listen, the minute you need to stop or the minute you need to start worrying as a player is the minute we stop getting on your case because that means we just don't think you can do it. I mean, nobody's ever going to yell at a child for not being able to read. Why would you yell at a child? You don't think they can do it. You know that they can't do it. Why would you waste your time yelling? So it's like, that always stuck with me too. It's like the minute we stop getting on your case, that's when you should start to worry because uh, that means that we just, I mean, you're not really worth the effort. You're not worth the time. And um, that's... That's so true when you really kind of stop and think about it. But, uh, well, I, I mean, we're going on an hour and a half. And, I, I mean, do you have any other stories or anything that you think that anybody that's into the, the – not even really college football, but just sports in general, you got any other good stories? I have a ton of stories, but, you know, I don't want to take up too much time. I, I'm going to just leave it at this. Listen, if you're a college athlete or you're somebody that's starting a new career or if you're thinking about changing a career, just remember this. It's never too late, and hard work trumps everything. And hard work can get you where you need to be. So 
you know, I, you know, that's all I have. But you know, I can go on for days with stories, and my my fiance will be looking at me like, you got too many stories about this. But you know. Well, we we may have to hang out again. Some is a is an offer still on the table. Table if I find myself down in Atlanta, you can as long as, long as I give you some heads up, then tickets are on the table. Yeah, we can make something happen, man. Come out, you know. Let me know when you're coming out here. If you if you plan on coming out here, you know, I can make some phone calls. Awesome. I was I was telling my I was you should have seen me last week. I'm yeah. So I you know I walked out because he was oh so how did it go. And I'm, I mean, sometimes I'm like, yeah, you know, it was okay. I, I'm, you know, some, some, some interviews are a little more challenging than other ones, but I was like, oh man, this guy. And I so I went over and he's like, oh, and he, he, he said, if we're ever in Atlanta, you can get us tickets. So I was, I was pretty geeked about it. So I'm glad that that offer is still on the table, but uh, yeah, Maquan, I, uh, first off, thank you again for troubleshooting and figuring out everything. And thanks for taking time to uh, share some stories, share a mentality that I think can really, uh, you know, not necessarily take anybody into football or sports, but just like you said, through life, I I think you shared quite a bit that can help people out. So thank you, man, for hanging out. And uh, we definitely got to keep in touch. Thank you, Clay, for having me. Hey, Clay, we're officially friends forever. (laughs) I'll take it. Yeah, good. Two public podcasts. Uh, and I'll take that. Friends forever. And as always, right, no judgment, jo- no judgment zone. And the moral of the story is always pack your patience. Is that fair? Pack your patience. That's it. That's right. Awesome. Well, thanks again for hanging out. All right. Have a good day, Clay. Yeah, you too. Thank you so much for hanging out and listening. Before I go, I want to just make your attention to a few things. First off, if you enjoyed the show, then make sure to help us out in the iTunes, especially if you could leave us a rating, that goes a long way and just assists me in getting the word out there and I I genuinely would appreciate it. Second, if you find yourself either in debt or just feeling like your, your personal finances are kind of out of control or could be much more efficient, then I would encourage you to go to moneywithclay.com and check out the Slab Money Method. That is the course that I put together as a former process engineer that outlined every single step, step by step by step with documentation, with forms to fill out, that'll put you on the path, the exact path I used to pay off of debt and get myself to the point where not only am I debt free, but I am now able to build wealth and build wealth in an efficient uh, manner. So if you're curious and interested in that, again, moneywithclay.com and that is the slab money method. And no, this is not all some massive sales pitch when I say that it works, it truly does. And I back that up with more than words. My action behind those words is that course comes with a one year money back guarantee. So if you try it out and you're not making any progress, you're not seeing any progress, then I will refund you the cost of the course, which is very minimal to begin with. And then finally, make sure to check us out on social media, Facebook, Instagram, just look up for Money With Clay and you will see us there. Again, thanks for hanging out. I'll see you back next episode.